Colossians 1, 23. I'll begin at verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. And for our time this afternoon, if you indeed continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made minister. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Last time we were gathered in Colossians, we considered, we did two sermons, I did two sermons on verse 20, uh, verse 22, specifically what Paul means when he says that Christ has reconciled us in order to present us holy blameless and beyond reproach and what we saw from that passage is or from that from that verse is that what saint paul is bringing forth to us is that not only do we receive jesus christ uh for in order to have a right standing before god but also uh christ makes us righteous inherently so we have an alien righteousness and a righteousness that's not of our own that provides for us a standing before God. And then what we have is we have a righteousness that comes to us in us, right? That's made in us. Um, and uh, we know that as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit essentially making us like them, making us like them. How are we holy in this life? Two ways. Number one, because we are united to Christ, and also number two, because the three persons of the Trinity indwell us. That's essentially how uh, there's the twofold righteousness that we have. Um, much more, I want to say on that, much more can be said on that, but we must move on to verse 23 this afternoon. Again, Paul says, if you indeed continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Saints of God, one of the great questions of the Christian faith, one of the great debates in all Christianity, if you go on YouTube and you typed in great Christian debates, um, more than likely this area of doctrine will come up, and that is this. Can man lose their salvation? Can man lose their salvation? Is it possible that man who has been loved by God who has been elected by God, united Jesus Christ, given the Holy Spirit, um, fall away, and here's the big, the big caveat, and never return. Is it possible that a Christian, again, loved by God, elected by God, let's just say this, is it possible that you can fall away and never to return? Is that possible? Is that possible? To many Christians, um, the answer is unquestionably and undoubtedly yes. Um, man certainly has the ability to lose their salvation and never uh, get it back. Um, we think of, or rather many think of, the, the nature of man. And, well, if I have the ability to choose um, what I want for lunch, then I have the ability likewise to choose whether or not I want to continue to believe 
and and never come back, right? Because man has this autonomous freedom, right? Um, we know this by, ex- well, people think they know this by experience. You are able to wear a red shirt or a black shirt or a blue shirt or a yellow shirt, right? They think, well, because I can make these choices in my experience, uh, then I can stop believing and then also I can never return back to believing. Um, our text this afternoon is one that is used by many who believe that man can lose their salvation and never regain it back. This is one of the primary texts that they use, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If you indeed continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast. Notice what Paul says before, before verse 23. He says that we are alienated, right? Hostile in attitude. And then he says in verse 22 that Christ has reconciled us to him, right? In order to present us holy and blameless. And then in verse 23, he says, if you indeed continue in the faith. So many... Read this verse, right, or these three verses, and they conclude that Jesus reconciling you in his body and presenting you holy and blameless is conditioned upon what? You continuing in the faith. That the the, the great things that Christ has done for us um, is conditioned upon, essentially, you keeping yourself firm. In the faith. <clears throat> the big emphasis in this text that many point to is the beginning of verse 23. If you notice, if, if, if. Now, we love to talk about that God can keep us. However, saints, we have to deal with the texts that say, or it seems to say otherwise, right? Now we're confronted with a text that it it does seem otherwise, right? If, I mean, we use if in all sorts of ways um, when we are um, adding a conditional clause to something, right? Um, again, Paul in our text, if you indeed continue in the faith, if you indeed. Too many Christians who interpret this text wrongly, they view this word if as conditional, meaning that Christ presenting you holy and blameless and beyond reproach, is conditioned upon you continuing in the faith. You must continue in the faith in order for God to present you holy and blameless and beyond reproach. You must continue in the faith. So in many ways, many see salvation um, as you controlling your own destiny. You controlling your own destiny. Now, at the very end, I'm going to say that there is some truth to that. (laughs) Uh, to be good students of the word, to be good theologians, we, we always must make distinctions, right? There is some truth to you doing something. We'll get there at the very end, but how are we to interpret this text? What I'm going to do is just interpret the text, what it means, and then just open up the doctrine that it presents. Because I think just interpreting the text alone, at least for myself, was enough. <laughs> it was enough. Is it true that Paul is saying all of Christ's promises is conditioned and depends upon me and my faith keeping? Again, is it true what Paul is saying here in verse 23, that all of Christ's promises and blessings to me is conditioned upon me keeping my faith? And if I don't keep my faith, 
then the promises and the blessings from Christ um, I don't receive. Um, in order to properly understand this text, one must understand the way in which Paul is using the word if. Okay. Again, in order to understand what Paul is saying, okay, we must understand the way Paul is using the word if. Okay. Now, stay with me. The New Testament, of course, as many of you know, is written in Greek. And this phrase represents what in Greek is known as a first class conditional statement. The word if, a first class conditional statement. The word if is used in various ways in the Bible, just as the word world is used in various ways in the, in the Bible. The word if, right, is used in a variety of ways. Um, how do we determine then? How if is used in this context? Again, again, I said, if is used in a myriad of ways, how do we determine then that if here is used in the right context? The meaning and the force of the word is always determined by the mood of the verb that it is used. So two Greek words then are used for the word if. One of them can be followed by the verb in the indicative mood, okay, which means that the verb if it's stated as a matter of fact, Question or absolute certainty. That's one way we can look at the word if. Or by a verb in the subjunctive mood, okay? Which means that the verb is stated hypothetically. It could be the case. And the other could be followed by the verb in the indicative, um, or rather in the operative mood. Uh, which, which simply means that it's wishful or hopeful thinking. Okay? So again, you have three ways we can look at the word if. Number one, it's a matter of fact, absolute certainty. Number two, hypothetical. Or number three, or number three, it is stated in wishful thinking, or I hope so. The word if here in the Greek. So if you're looking at verse 23, if you see the word if there, um, the word if there in the Greek does not mean that it's some unfulfilled hypothetical condition used in the subjunctive mood. The word if is not presenting the possibility of a future realization or wistful thinking like the operative mood. But rather the word if is stated in the, and here's the, here's the hallelujah moment, in the indicative mood, which means this. Paul believes with absolute certainty. Praise the Lord there. That these Christians will continue in the faith. So again, here's the argument that many will use. That all of Christ's promises are conditioned upon you. Paul is saying here, no, 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 no. I'm not, that's not what the word, that's not the way in which I'm using the word if. What Paul means is that all of Christ's promises presenting you holy and blameless will surely be yours. Let me, maybe you didn't hear me again. All of Christ's promises are not conditioned first and foremost on your work keeping. Paul says here, I know for certainty Christ's promises will be yours and are yours. One commentator said we should render verse 23 as this. At any rate, if you stand firm in the faith, and he says here, and I am sure you will. 
that's essentially what Paul is saying. That if you stand, it's like me saying to you, saints of God, stand firm, and I know you will. That's essentially what Paul's saying here. Another commentator said, if you continue in the faith, and then Paul adds, or Paul is saying, which you will assuredly do. You will assuredly stand firm and keep the faith. What we have here then is a, uh, uh, Paul is not, he's not casting doubt on our salvation. You would think that, right? Just by reading the text. If you indeed continue in the faith, Paul, it seems like saying, Paul, why is, why are you casting so much doubt to these Colossian Christians? Why are you giving them a false hope? But in fact, he's simply saying that a person who is genuinely saved will most certainly and genuinely continue to be saved. That's what he's saying. That's what St. Paul is saying. Paul here then is not addressing false believers, as many want to say. He's addressing truly born-again Christians. Truly born-again Christians. And in order to combat the heretics and false teachers that were trying to influence these Christians in Colossae, St. Paul reminds them to stand firm and continue in the faith. Because we're going to read, we're going to read in chapter 2, Paul's going to lay out, do not be deceived through vain philosophy. So he's going to, he's going to attack the empty philosophy of the world. But before he gets there, he tells them, the gospel that you've heard from me, and the gospel that you've heard from others, continue to believe. But also here's the encouragement that Paul says too. And you will continue to believe. And you will continue to believe. St. Paul not only reminds them, right? But he also encourages them. Believe the gospel. But also, you will continue to believe the gospel. You will continue to believe the gospel. This is the mood or the force behind verse 23, saints. This is essentially what verse 23 means. That's it. Paul is saying not... Uh, 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 believing and, and, and rather believing in the gospel and, 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 and holding on to the promises of Christ are not conditioned first and foremost primarily upon you. God will see you through. St. Paul then is not casting doubts on these Christian saints. Nowhere in scripture does St. Paul cast doubt on Christians, but rather he's reminding them, they're sometimes warning them, but also encouraging them, encouraging them. Let me also tell you, saints, just as a word of encouragement, you don't need to know Greek. I don't know Greek. But if you do the homework, there are many out there who have done the homework for us and can help us understand what a simple word if means because it changes the whole way we look at the text, does it not? Again, he's not casting doubt. He's reminding and encouraging most assuredly Christians in Colossae, most assuredly Christians in Bakersfield, California. God will preserve you. In many ways, what Paul is saying to these Christians in Colossae is what he told the Christians in Philippi. The exact same thing. He's telling these Christians in Colossae. He's telling these Christians in Philippi. For I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. This verse, saints, is of great encouragement for us. Of great, great encouragement for us. Because if there's one thing we want to know in this life, it's this. Will God keep me? 
Will God keep me? And also, too, will he keep me, or rather, will he give me the strength so I can keep myself? This opens up for us, then, the glorious doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints. If there's, if there's any, if there's any doctrine that is more comforting to us saints, it is simply this, that all those whom God loves, he keeps and preserves till the end. Amen. That's the glorious doctrine, saints. It's quite, I'll get there, but to the answer to the question, can man lose their salvation? The answer is thankfully no. Can man lose their salvation and get and never return and never get it back? The answer is thankfully no. The answer to the question of whether man who has been loved, who has been elected, been called, been chosen, who has been given Christ to live, die and rise for, to ascend for, to return for. Who's been given the Holy Spirit, who's been united to Jesus Christ, who partakes of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper who not only tastes of the benefits of grace, but, 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 but digest it. Can those people, can those people be lost from God's hand? And the answer that the Bible says clearly is no. Amen. 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 (laughs) No, he will not lose us. When we ask, when we talk about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, we must clarify what we mean. We must clarify what we mean because there is much misconceptions concerning this. And this is where Francis Turretin, the great reform scholastic, is helpful. I'm just going to read what he says and then give some comments. He says, the question does not concern the act or exercise of faith, whether it can be interrupted or fail even as to time, which we every day sadly experience by the falls of the, uh, by the falls of sin. In other words, he's saying the question is not concerned whether or not my faith can diminish day by day. That's not the question that we're asking. He says, rather, the question concerns the essence of spiritual life and the state of habit of faith. Can we lose what God gives to you, which is what the habit of faith? Can he remove that virtue from you? Not whether it, not whether it can as a faculty and readiness of acting sometimes be diminished. Isn't there time, saints, when we want to act upon faith and we just don't? Turson is saying, we're not talking about that though. That type of way of using faith. He says also, so as to seem only a little removed from death, but whether it can be weakened, destroyed, so far as to be wholly taken away and cease to exist. In other words, the question is not whether our faith can be weakened at times, but rather, can our faith be so weakened to cease to exist? That's the question. We all every day experience weak faith. But that's not what we're talking about when we say God will preserve us. That's not in the conversation, he says also. The question is not whether when he falls into sins, he incurs the uh, uh, indignation of God is depraved of the sense of justification and adoption, loses that fittedness and disposition for the kingdom of heaven, which consists in the practice of faith and holiness, contracts damnable guilt so that while he continues in that state, he ought to consider himself liable to death. In other words, this, when you sin, does it make you feel like, man, how am I truly justified? Am I truly adopted son and daughter of God? I mean, that's what sin 
it can do to us, right? It can make us feel like God does not, he can't love me in light of my sin. And then also, too, sometimes God removes all the senses of his love for us. You see that in many ways or many times in, in, in Israel's day. You know, they're, they're looking across the land. They're saying, God, how are you blessing these other pagan nations and not us? Right. Can't you feel the same way as well? I mean, we just got done with prayer and many of you asked for or rather some asked for healing in your body, a better job. You see your friends who are not saved, who are pagans. They're healthy. They're they're thriving. They have good jobs. And you say to yourself, Lord, why don't I feel your sense of love? Right? Well, St. Paul's, or rather, Tertian is saying, well, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. He says, rather, the question is whether he falls into the hostility hatred of God. Not that I feel like God hates me, but actually, loosely speaking, God does hate me. That I'm actually really accounted as a sinner on my way to hell. That's the question. The question does not concern the possibility of falling on man's part in a divided sense. For no one denies that believers considered in themselves as the mutability and weakness of their nature not only can fall, but not help falling if left to themselves. In other words, this. The question does not concern whether or not in this life you will fall. When we talk about God preserving us, we don't mean that man cannot and does experience Falling. How many of you who've been saved for a long time, maybe not even a long time, but let's say five years, have fallen in that five years? Yes, many of us have, right? But did you lose your salvation? Never to get it back. And, and, and Turton saying, saying is, that's not what we're talking about. He gets to the heart of the issue, which I think it is. He says here, but the question concerns the possibility of falling on God's part. This is the heart of the issue, saints of God. I've listened to so many debates on the perseverance of the saints because I forgot much of what people said concerning this doctrine. And many of them I see when, when they're asking, um, um, about the perseverance of the saints, those who are, who are on the affirmative of it, they don't get to the heart of the issue. They don't get to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is this. Not that whether man can lose his salvation. Because the debate over whether man can lose their salvation is always centered around man. And that's not where the debate needs to start. Right? We can get to man. We will get to man. But rather, saints, the debate over where a man will preserve himself ought to be centered around God. Whether God, not whether man can keep himself saved, but whether God can keep him saved. Again, not whether man can keep himself saved, but rather God, can God keep himself saved? Not whether man has the ability, aided by God, can lose his salvation, but whether God, in spite of man's weakness, again, not because of the weakness of man can he lose his salvation, but in spite of your weakness, in spite of all maybe losing the senses of God's love and the weakness of faith that you have when temptation arises within you and you are so close to falling into sin, maybe even falling into sin, 
but whether God, in spite of how weak you are, in spite of how how just dangling by the thread that you are, can he keep you? Can he keep you? That's the question. Again, the question is not whether man who is loved by God, elected by God, and saved by God will per- persevere, but whether God, simply put is this, who whether God who began a work will bring it to completion. That's the question. And saying, so if there's anything the Bible teaches us, it's simply this. We've heard it this morning. That God is not like you and I. That God is not like you and I. See, our doctrine of God informs. Rather, we could say this. Who we say God is informs, right? How we think about God beginning a work, loosely speaking, right? And completing and finishing the work. The Lord says in Psalm 50, 21, you thought I was just like you. The Lord says in Isaiah 46, 5, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we would be alike? Congregation, God is not like us. Most especially, God is not like us when it comes to beginning a plan and bringing it into completions. How many of us, saints, um, begin plans, say we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and then just give it a week. That plan of doing X, Y, and Z is just all but non-existent, right? All but non-existent. This congregation, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord that this can't be said of our Lord. This cannot be said of our God. That our um, our inability to keep plans and 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 bring them to completion cannot be said of God. The proof of our perseverance in the faith, saints, we can think about many things. Our union with Christ, the giving of the Holy Spirit, who seals us. We can talk about many things, but I'm just going to give you this one proof of God preserving, rather one proof that, that God will preserve you till the end. And it centers around who God is and what he says in his word. Deuteronomy 31.8 And the Lord is the one who is going ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not desert you or abandon you. Isaiah 54.10, I love this passage. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my favor will not be removed from you, nor my covenant of peace be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Just quickly here, quick commentary. Notice the Lord is using something that we experience every day that we know of, mountains. Mountains cannot be moved unless you blow them up. Mountains in many ways are unshakable. And the Lord is saying here, the mountains will be moved before my love from you will be removed. Isn't that just simply amazing? That the mountains, the things that are the grandest we think, and are the most stable, those things will be moved before my love for you is ever removed. What glorious news that is from our Lord. The Lord, saints of God, he says in Jeremiah 32, 40, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me the Lord will not stop doing good to us. He makes this covenant, right? 
John 10, 20, 20, uh, 28, 29, the passage we all know, rather these two that I'm going to say we all know. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given me, given them to me is greater than all. And no one will be able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Essentially what Christ is saying, and we can even add the Holy Spirit to this, is you have three hands, if you would, holding you together. You have the Father holding you together. You have the Son holding you. And you got the Holy Spirit holding you. Holding you. Ephesians 1, 29-30. Last proof text, if you would. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he also glorified. Saints of God, you notice this chain here, right? Those whom he predestines, those whom he foreloves before the foundation of the world, he also will see them at the end of the world. That's essentially what St. Paul is telling us. <clears throat> Congregation, these verses echo what the whole of what Scripture says concerning the preserving power of God. We've, we've heard this morning from Pastor Antonio how powerful God is. And how powerful is God? That in light of my weakness, he holds me. In light of me, I mean, sister, <clears throat> uh, sister, um, uh, 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 Dominga said that her shoulder is barely hanging off by a, by, by a thread. Saints of God, that is many of us. That is many of us just barely holding on. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, right, and dwells, and he strengthens us. But Paul many times says, I, pre- I, pre- I choose and I prefer weakness over strength. I choose, I prefer being weak because then I know I know that I can hold on strongly, more firmly to God and his preserving power. Saints of God, think of God's preserving power in St. Paul's life. A great question was asked by a medieval theologian, Henry of Ghent. He says that, was it possible that Paul could have died before he met Christ? What an amazing question that is. Was it possible that Paul, who was Saul, could have died before he met Christ. Because what if Paul, who was Saul, met or rather died before he met Christ? Would he go to heaven? And Henry again says wisely, like all of other others say, no, because he was predestined. And also because God preserved him. God preserved him. What about what about St. Peter, right? Be- believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, right? has this moment where he denies the Lord, right? What if Peter died the moment he denied the Lord? And the great answer is this, but he wouldn't have, because God preserved him. Lastly, saints, think of yourself. Think of yourself. I was just passing by um, where my brother, Pastor Antonio, had his accident long ages ago. I pass by it all the time. Look at the various taco stands that are around. There's always new ones popping up. But I just looked at it and and uh, I just thought about that night when I saw the Jeep that he was driving um, being towed away. And I thought about that night and I thought about what would have happened if if uh, if he would have passed away that night. 
But here's the great news. He wasn't meant to pass away that night. Just as you weren't meant to pass away on your night. But God preserved our pastor. God preserved you. And he continued to preserve you. And he will continue to preserve you. So you have to think, if God preserves me in order for you to be saved, right? In light of all the stuff I was involved in, in in light of all the times in which I could have died, if he can preserve me till that moment to when I say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus Christ, then why would he not preserve you now? Why would he lose you now? And that's the great question, right, that we want to ask to our opponents who don't want to believe what Scripture says concerning God's preserving power, right? And we see it all the time in Scripture, and we experience in our life as well that God preserves us, and God will continue to preserve us. Not just preserve us and merely just, hey, the lilies are taken care of in the field, the birds will have their nests. No, no, not that type of preserving. I'm talking about, I'm talking about you will never lose your faith. Your faith may dim a little bit, but the light will still be there. The light will still be there. So when we think about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints congregation, we must center the question first and foremost around God. Not whether can I lose my salvation, but can God keep me? Can God keep me? And the answer is undoubtedly yes. God is the first and the primary cause of our perseverance. Now, note, I'm being very, very careful with my language there. He is the first and primary cause. Because I don't want you to leave here and say, well, okay, well, since God's going to preserve me, I have now a license to sin. We don't treat grace that way. And we don't treat our salvation that way. Also, too, we don't want, want to fall into the heresy of letting go and letting God. Which many, many fall into, right? Well, if God's going to preserve me till the end, then I'm all good. No, no, no. There's too much emphasis on you in the Bible as well. You in the Bible as well. St. Paul says in Philippians 2, 12-13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 1 Corinthians 15.10, St. Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. But wait a minute. Is Paul here saying that I contribute in some way, shape, or form to my perseverance? Yes. That's what he does say. He does say that I am a co-laborer with God. He does say that God not only saves me, but also he saves me with myself. That I have a part to play in my salvation salvation in the you know grand scheme of the word but notice saint paul always brings it back though he says again philippians 2 13 work out yourself work out your own salvation with fear and trembling which we'll talk about right now for it is god who is at work in you both to desire and to work for his good pleasure in case you thought saint paul was Boasting in any way that you working out your own salvation and you get to the finish line, you say, I worked it out. I'm the man. He says, remember this with fear and trembling. There's no room for boasting. Absolutely no room for boasting. Then he also says in First Corinthians 15, what about this? 
I worked hard in any of them. I did the work, right? Though it was not I. But the grace of God that was with me. Saints of God, uh, I cannot explain this. There is a mysterious, right, paradox that Scripture presents to us. That you work, but God works. Let me give you a little way to think about it, though. We're going to get to this in Colossians in chapter 2, because Paul's going to talk about being an example and and living unto Christ. So we're going to get a lot into our good works and, and what that how that plays in our salvation. But how you want to think of it is this. When I say that God is the first and primary cause, meaning this. Yes, we all do things, right? We all do things. You, we all have the ability to do things. Here's the big, here's the thing though. The reason why you're able to do things is because God causes you to do things. That's how you explain it. How is it both God and me? Because God causes you. He, he causes your causing. To do what? To believe. To remain in the faith. So when we think about then our salvation, saints of God, yes, God preserves us. But also, and I didn't even get to this point, but he also gives us the Holy Spirit. He also gives us the virtues. He also says, yes, I'm going to preserve you, but also you're going to work out your salvation as well. I'm going to make you as strong as you need to be for that day. I'm going to make you as strong as you need to be for that year. I'm going to preserve you. But also, too, you're going to work as well. <clears throat> and St. Saint, uh, Paul reminds us, saints, that all of our working is, first and foremost, God working in me. Not God working with me. Not that we are cooperative agents. But God is the single primary agent that works in me, and I'm the subordinate. I'm following God's footsteps. I'm following every sort of every sort of um, um, tickling of grace that I receive. I'm cooperating, right? So God's not working with us. God's working in and through us. In and through us. <clears throat> you can think of what Christ says with the branches of the vines. And, and those type of analogies. <clears throat> there was um before we close, there, I was listening to a minister and he told this great story of a little girl walking with her her father, and the uh, the father took a different path, a way which the little girl didn't know, and the father said, um, "Are you scared, honey? You're seeing houses you don't know. You're seeing streets you don't know." Uh, this is highly, un- it should be highly unusual for you. And the daughter turned to the father and said, why would I be scared? I'm following you. Why would I be scared? You're protecting me. And you'll keep me. And in many ways, saints of God, this is the life of the Christian. Just follow the steps of the Lord. Follow the steps of the Lord. He will preserve you. He will protect you. Even in those times in our lives when the streets look unknown, 
We're in a situation that we've never been in before. Keep holding on to the hand of the Lord. I say to you what St. Paul says to these Christians in Colossae, stand firm in the faith. Steadfast. Saints of God, do not be removed from the hope that lies within you. We're going to talk about this next Sunday. The virtue of faith, but also the virtue of hope. What does the virtue of hope do for us? And this is what St. Paul is telling these Christians in Colossae, that the gospel that you've heard, and the gospel saints that I've preached to you, that Pastor Antonio preaches to you, that your favorite ministers say to you, stand firm in that. Because that gospel is none other than Jesus Christ. Stand firm in Jesus Christ. As I said last Sunday morning, continue to hide yourself in the cleft of Christ's rock. That's the only perseverance that you have. All other rocks are going to erode and go away. The rocks, as we learn from Re- in Revelation, will fall down one day. There's only one rock, though, that's going to stand firm. That is Jesus Christ. I leave you with St. Paul's ro- words in Romans 8, verses 35 to 39. In light of God's preserving power, he says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or trouble, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword... As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us, loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray.